A pleasant Monday. This is Ozarks at Large for April 3rd, 2023. I'm Kyle Callums. I'm Matthew Moore. Since our last show, former Governor Asa Hutchinson has announced he's running for president. An EF3 tornado touched down in Little Rock. And there's been further confirmation Northwest Arkansas continues to be the fastest growing part of the state. We'll have the outline of a busy weekend in just a bit. First, the number of students going to college on the decline across the United States, as well as in Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth spoke with representatives from several state institutions to get a better understanding of what the future of higher education may look like. Students are making their way back to class after an assembly at Rogers High School in early March. It's the time of year when many juniors and seniors are starting to feel the crunch of what comes next after high school. Okay, um, the reason I participated was for mostly the connections you can make, mostly when you're getting older and I mean I'm about to graduate so I feel like as soon as I graduate high school I'm gonna have to put myself out there more if I want to get a good job, you know, things like that of that sort. So yeah. That's Jonathan Ramirez, a Rogers High School senior who's taking part in the Arkansas Be Pro Be Proud Draft Day, a statewide initiative funded by the Associated Industries of Arkansas and the State Chamber of Commerce. The goal is to get more students to pursue technical careers after high school. Andrew Parker is the program's director. In many cases, a lot of the things that we are promoting, those positions in highest demand across those sectors, are going to require that level of engagement at some point. Does it have to be right now? It just doesn't. Are those, is, is a post-secondary degree required in order for success to be obtained? It just isn't. And this is one piece of a bigger shift that's happening in higher education. A study from the National Student Clearinghouse reported that the number of people attending college in the U.S. dropped by 8 percent from 2019 to 2022. And while some experts attribute that to the COVID-19 pandemic when campuses shuttered and classes moved completely online, even with in-person classes back in session now, enrollment numbers are still dropping for many American universities. In Arkansas, undergraduate college enrollment has been slipping since about 2012, but the state did see a modest increase, about 1.4% in fall of last year. And the University of Arkansas, which has largely evaded some of those broader trends, welcomed its largest enrollment class, more than 30,000 students to campus last semester. So, but the trends are that if you're at a public um four-year research institution or at a very highly competitive institution, numbers are up. For schools that are regional, two-year schools, numbers are trending down. And so that's, that's a real issue for transfer and things like that, and an issue for those schools. That's Suzanne McRae, the vice provost for enrollment at the University of Arkansas. She says while enrollment is up at the University of Arkansas and similar campuses, by 2026, schools will begin to see an enrollment drop-off, but that's not necessarily a result of the pandemic. 2008, people didn't have as many babies as they were having previously, and so now those uh, children who were born are going to college and there are fewer of them. And so that's a real concern, I think, for everybody. And so we're trying to get enough students in the pipeline that it can see us through 
um, as we uh, face that cliff. We're going to face the cliff harder in Arkansas. We're going to go down 15% in the number of students who graduate from high school and are going to college. And this enrollment cliff is something a lot of schools are aware of and trying to prepare for. Here's Charles Welch, president of the Arkansas State University System, which is over a flagship four-year institution in Jonesboro and five two-year institutions throughout Arkansas. So over the course of, you know, of the last five years or so, um, most of our institutions have seen declines. Our two- and four-year institutions have, have seen decreases. Now, that is not uncommon for the state of Arkansas. Uh, over the last five years, our universities had about a 6% decline in enrollment, and our two-year institutions had about a 13% Uh, decline in enrollment. He says the coming drop of high school age students coupled with a pandemic and labor shortages have all contributed to the coming college enrollment crisis. Um, The condition of the economy plays a large role in what prospective enrollment looks like. Um, You know, when the economy is doing well, when unemployment is low, That typically um, translates into a more challenging uh, enrollment environment for our colleges and universities, simply because individuals are employed um, and and maybe don't don't see as much of an immediate need um, to gain that college education. And McRae agrees that as the economy rebounds from the pandemic, enrollment, specifically for non-traditional students, is starting to drop back off. Well, yeah, during COVID, it really increased. You can't earn, you learn, right? And so uh, that's that's a trend. And when things, when the economy is really good, and people have are getting raises and they're happy in their jobs, then it's less likely that they come back as non-traditional students. So we bump around at the University of Arkansas with non-traditional students, sort of tracking the economy. And Blake Bedsoul, the director of admissions and student relations at the University of Arkansas Fort Smith says Arkansas already has one of the lowest college-going populations in general, about 24 percent, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. You know, I think our college-going population of high school graduates was over 50 percent maybe five, six, seven years ago, and now it's getting closer to 30 percent, right? And so you've got students that are not just debating between your college and a community college or going out of state. It's Maybe, hey, do I go to Fort Smith or do I not go at all, right, and enter the workforce? And so it's really focusing on that. What is the value of a degree? He says UAFS has seen single-digit enrollment declines every year since about 2014. But he says one of the major positive trends on their campus has been a shift in student demographics. So we may have less less white students, for example, and more Hispanic students, and that is projected to continue to um, increase over the next several years. One of the things we've really done is try to get out in front of that and, and decide how we as a campus can better serve kind of the Hispanic population and their students. And Welch says this is something that ASU's campuses have seen as well. That cliff is only being buffered by... Um, increases in historically underrepresented populations in higher education. So that would be a first area that I think we have to focus on is ensuring that we know 
the mix of those high school graduates. And if they are students who are from historically underrepresented populations, then we have to be more strategic and focused on reaching out to those populations, whether that is, um, you know, students that are students of color, whether it's students that are Hispanic, whether it is low-income students, whatever the case may be, um, we've got to make sure that we're a little bit more um, laser-focused and perhaps not just putting out a you know, one-size-fits-all type recruitment approach. And Suzanne McRae says shifting approaches will be vital in the future. During the pandemic, the University of Arkansas even dropped ACT or SAT requirements for admission. With going test optional, we've recruited students in the past that we would not have been able to do. In our state, beyond our state, 4.0 students who just didn't test well, but were great students. And we had been excluding them in the past because of our use of test scores. And now that we don't use test scores, we're bringing those terrific students to, to campus and they are retaining. Ed Welch says ingenuity like this is vital for schools to remain profitable. In 2021, the ASU system acquired the four-year college Henderson State in Malvern after the school fell into financial challenges. And part of the rehabilitation process for Henderson State involved cutting several degree programs. And Welch believes more universities will have to start considering cuts like this in the future. Uh, We're going to have to find ways to be different and to have a different model um, and perhaps not be all things to all people. We have 32 public colleges and universities in the state of Arkansas, and unfortunately, too many of them look alike um, and perhaps offer all the same things. And and I think we're going to have to look for ways that perhaps we reduce some of those and maybe partner with other institutions in the state and say, hey, we're going to do these things really well. But if we have students that want these other things, we're going to partner with other institutions to to bring that in. And he says universities across Arkansas are trying to become more flexible, from offering more online and hybrid options to partnering with technical training and certificate programs to be more accommodating to more students. Because another factor that underpins this shakeup in higher education is cost. Student loan debt in the U.S. is at a record high, with debt for Arkansans racking up close to $15 million. And Bedsoul says drawing a line from education to the workforce is increasingly important for students. That's guided a lot of what we do for non-traditional and traditional students in terms of communicating our value, communicating our social mobility. How is this degree going to help you in the workforce? How is it going to change your life, right, and change your family's life? And so... And here's how we can help you do it affordably with no debt. Um, those types of conversations have become a lot more prevalent. But Suzanne McRae says the value of a degree isn't only measured by earning potential. thing where they come, they meet their peers, they learn from their peers, uh, they network, they develop social structures that will help them when they enter the workplace. So there's a lot to college, even beyond the classroom. They learn about giving back and committing their time and resources to their community. Uh, We have a lot of service on our campus, a lot of service opportunities, a lot of service learning uh, that help students connect with the community and to give back there. So I think a lot happens on the college campus that's not going to be replicated in online badges or certificates. I mean, I just think that that's not something that's going to go away. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth.
And Daniel Kruth puts together his stories for Ozarks at Large in the Karen Taha News Studio. All right. Good weekend, Matthew Moore? It was a very good weekend. Yeah. You had your baby shower. I did have my baby shower. We yeah. got lots of gifts. We got lots of really like thoughtful um, and personal gifts, which is always a good way to, sh- to show someone that you love them. Means you're thinking about the future. Let's talk about the immediate future. Let's do that. Jane Hirschfield will be the 2022-2023 Walton Visiting Writer in Poetry. She'll be giving a public reading uh, free Tomorrow night, beginning at 7, in the Hembury Alumni House on the U of A campus. Mm -hmm. That will be followed by a question and answer, and she'll be signing her books. Fantastic. Also tomorrow, tomorrow night, kind of the same time, Pearl's Books in Fayetteville sponsoring the Silent Book Club. It takes place at The Graduate. Are you familiar with something? Yeah, I keep up with it on Instagram, that they always post photos from it, and it's... um, you know, it seems like the only way that I would really ever be able to do a book club is like, don't talk to me. Just let's all hang out together and read the same book. And you just flop on a couch and, and do it. And get a good drink. They've got a good little that, bar there. Yes, they do. It. So th- those are a couple things you can do for the next 24 hours. You know what you can also do in the next 24 hours? What's that? Support KUAF. That's right. This is our uh, spring fundraising week. It's a little bit different this year. Mm-hmm. We're quieter today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We won't start the traditional on-air version till Wednesday morning. That's right. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't still give. And in fact, one of the reasons we're doing it this way is we're, we've heard from a lot of folks who say, you know, we really like the time that we have on the air. Um, and so we're listening to your feedback and shortening it from five days on the air to just three days on the air. And uh, we're hoping you'll reward us by giving now. So you can do that at supportkuaf.com. You can become a new donor. You can become a new sustaining member. However, you see fit to give to this uh, to give to the station. You can do that at supportkuaf.com. We're also introducing a new way of supporting KUF this spring: a business membership. These are ideal for businesses who want to support KUAF with a tax-deductible donation, but you might not have that big of a marketing budget or a marketing budget at all. It starts at five hundred dollars. Business member names read once per hour per day for the two weeks of our spring and fall fundraisers this year. Plus, you're going to be listed on our webpage for one full year. You can become a business member to have your business's name read each day during the fundraisers. Just go to KUAF.com slash business membership, or you can simply go to support KUAF.com and thank you. Closing out Walton Arts Center's Starlight Jazz Club Series is the Brianna Thomas Sextet, Friday, April 7th at 7.30 p.m. With the soprano voice that scats, swoons, and croons, Brianna Thomas moves the material into the funky soul and R&B worlds. Tickets available at waltonartscenter.org. Still to come this hour, Melvin Bell used a unique business opportunity to build a fortune. Then he began spending that money throughout Arkansas. It was just... uh unbelievable and uh they did a, an underwriting and uh a local broker there helped him uh prepare the material to go public and once that happened uh, uh it was off to the races prior center archives helps tell his story later on today's ozarks at large This is Rachel Martin with Morning Edition. If you are spending more and more time at home these days and you've got a vehicle you don't need anymore, you could try to sell it or you could arrange to donate it to this station and it could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. Here's how to get started. All you need to do is call 855-500-7433. That's 855-500-RIDE. You can also go online to careasy.com. 
ozarksatlarge.org, and thank you. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson has announced he will seek the Republican nomination for the presidency. In an interview with ABC News yesterday, Governor Hutchinson said despite not being well-known outside of Arkansas, he believes he still has a chance to win the nomination. It's still about retail politics in many of these states. And also, this is one of the most unpredictable political environments that I've seen in my lifetime. And so my message of experience, of consistent conservatism, of hope uh, for our future and solving problems that face Americans. Others uh, seeking the GOP nomination include former President Donald Trump, former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley. And currently, Trump is seen as the favorite to win the nomination. But Hutchinson says that the GOP needs to move away from the former president. He has also argued Trump should drop out of the race after he was indicted by a grand jury in New York last week. He will make his formal announcement later this month in Bentonville. Friday afternoon, an EF3 tornado with winds as high as 165 miles per hour cut a 30-mile path of destruction starting in West Little Rock and moving northeast through surrounding cities. Five deaths have been confirmed across the state, including in North Little Rock and Wynn. By Sunday, the sound of chainsaws cutting massive uprooted trees in impacted neighborhoods everywhere. I spoke to Jeanette Purley yesterday, a resident of the Colony West neighborhood in West Little Rock, whose house was heavily damaged by the tornado. She said she's gotten notifications for tornado warnings in the past, but she felt something different when she got the one on Friday. I thought that the past, when we had tornado warnings, I would just go to sleep and I wake up and it's over with. But this time, I did not do that. I took all the precautions. And so, with that, uh, I got into the bathroom. Pearlie said she has a lot of friends and family that have come to help with cleanup, but lots of community members have shown up as well. The Good Samaritans, when I say Good Samaritans, they have been right here. And I just count that a blessing from God. I believe in letting my light shine, and I feel like when you do right by people, then God will turn it back and, and you know, return to you. One of those good Samaritans was Mercy, a 10-year-old girl from just a few streets over. She was there with friends and her mom, offering snacks and drinks to her neighbors and the workers. The tornado missed her home, but she was worried about other children who weren't as lucky as she was. Have you seen other, have you seen other kids your age out here, and, and what has it been like kind of seeing them? Uh, sad, like scary for them, kind of. Yeah, yeah. But you're here, you're giving out snacks, you're kind of helping your, your neighbors and your friends, right? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing that? Because uh, they need it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and it's cool to help people. Mm-hmm. Right? Because the Lord told us to. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Little Rock Mayor Frank Scott Jr. held several briefings over the weekend, pledging support for any Arkansans who need assistance. The Biden administration yesterday approved the state's request for a major disaster declaration. The Arkansas Justice Reform Coalition is seeking input from people formerly incarcerated and or family members impacted by incarceration. The organization will host a community conversation in Bentonville tomorrow night. John Comstock with the Arkansas Justice Reform Coalition says it's time to hear from people directly affected by incarceration. And you always hear it said that you ought to talk to people that, you know, participate in the in the system. And yet, when do we ever just, normally what we do, like a community conversation, but we'll have two or three so-called experts who kind of make presentations 
and then we take questions from the audience. Well, we decided we wanted to do something different this time. We we don't want we're not there's not going to be any so-called expert presentations. Comstock says the conversation at Meteor Gallery in downtown Bentonville will also include Sophia Duckwater, a peer recovery support specialist. That person is an active, they are involved in active recovery for themselves. And two, they have received training authorized by the state of Arkansas, recognized by the state of Arkansas, uh, that gives them a certificate uh, that says that they're a specialist in helping others transition during their recovery uh, cycles. The community conversation is open to the public and begins at 6 tomorrow night at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville. More information at arjusticereform.org. Francis Correa, the 2022 laureate of the Pritzker Architecture Prize, is on the University of Arkansas campus to deliver the Ernie Jacks Lecture. A native of Burkina Faso, he is the first African native to be awarded the most prestigious award in architecture. He says his experience as a seven-year-old in a crowded schoolroom still influences his work. I was sitting with more than 100 other kids in a tiny little classroom, like full-packed, and it was hot. It was terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. But, you know, in terms of comfort, it was terrible. But in terms of opportunities, that was great for me. That was the opening to the world for me. That was the access to everything to me. That's why I'm here today in Arkansas, you know, to be able to talk to you, to an audience. I had access. I am privileged. Carey began learning carpentry before he was 10 and later moved to Germany to continue to study carpentry, and he eventually became an architect. Today's lecture was presented by Marlon Blackwell Architects, and we'll hear much more from our conversation recorded this morning in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio on an upcoming edition of Ozarks at Large. Washington County had the fastest-growing population in Arkansas, and Benton County gained more people than any other county in the state, according to updated U.S. Census Bureau population estimates. The Bureau released the numbers as of July 1, 2022, this past week. Benton County's population grew nearly 2.9%, or about 8,500 people, from April 1, 2021 to July 1, 2022. In the same span of time, Washington County grew 1.7%, or about 4,400 people, according to the estimates. Also, other counties in the northwest part of the state, including Carroll, Crawford, and Madison County, experienced population growth. A successful weekend for the Arkansas softball and baseball teams. The softball Razorbacks are now 8-4 and four in conference play after sweeping Mississippi State and Starkville. Baseball teams 6-3 and three in the SEC after winning two of three at home against Alabama. Softball will be at home for a three-game series against Georgia beginning Thursday night, and the baseball team will play three games at Mississippi starting Thursday evening. This is Ozarks at Large. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News studio is Randy Dixon, who's with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. And now I'm here. And now you're here. Yes. Uh, Before we talk about this week's subject, let's just remind people about these archives and and why they're with the Pryor Center. Well, I uh, worked at KTV in Little Rock, the ABC station, for 31 years. I was news director for the last 10 And during that time, we reached an agreement with retired Senator Pryor and the university to donate 26,000 hours of film and videotape, uh, which made up 
the KATV News Weather and Sports Archive. So I wound up here, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm in the process of digitizing and organizing, and uh, with the help of Tyson, uh, Barbara Tyson, and the Tyson Foods Foundation. And uh, so you and I go in and dip into this every every week, and we find some sort of topic or person or news event from the past. And this week's touches on Fort Smith, El Dorado, Fayetteville, just about the entire state. That's true. Melvin Bell. Mm-hmm. Interesting story. Uh, in a way, a tragic story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate to give it this title, but it's almost like a riches to rags story. Uh, excuse the... Mm-hmm. I guess, flippant uh, use of terms. Uh, but uh, Melvin Bell, if, if you've never heard of him, and there's probably a good chance you haven't, Fort Smith native, graduated from the University of Arkansas here in 1960 mm-hmm. with an engineering degree. And he started a wildly successful company that was just sort of under the radar because it's not some sort of flashy thing that you know an an engineer came up with but it was called ensco uh environmental services company and it was in el dorado and well my neighbor hugh (laughs) Ernest um worked for ensco in the mid 80s up to the about 1990, and he sort of explains what Insco was. They had um, reconstructed, if you will, an old incinerator that had been in an oil an oil plant on a refinery, and they had began. They got the first contract to burn PCBs and other hazardous waste in in the United States. So they were the only ones. They were the, the only ones for a period of time. Okay, so he had a corner on the market. He had a corner on the market. And this made money. This was a, a lucrative, lot of money. Yeah, it was a very business. lucrative business um, because uh, he was talking about these PCBs. Mm-hmm. It was related to dioxin, uh, carcinogen, uh, and the utilities. They they were in transformers, right. and they had to be cleaned up. They couldn't be used anymore, and they had until – sometime in the mid-90s to clean it all up. And like you said, he was on the cutting edge of having permission to incinerate this stuff. So um, the business was booming. And um, I got in touch with an old friend and colleague of Bell's. His name is Bill Priakis. And uh, he describes it this way. So that's what started it all and uh, was it- – incredibly successful I understand he made a lot of money doing that it was just uh, unbelievable and uh, they did a, an underwriting and uh, a local broker there helped him uh, prepare the material to go public and once that happened uh, uh, it was off to the races uh, I can't remember how many times the stock split, but uh, it made a lot of people wealthy. 
who were early investors. The stock was splitting, it was growing, and so uh, Bell and others made a fortune. So what do you do with, with all this money? Well, one of the first things he did was give a very generous gift to here, the University of Arkansas. His alma mater. Yes, uh, the engineering department. And uh, it was more than $3 million. I believe he gave it in Ensco stock. Uh, but you've heard of the Bell Engineering Building. Sure, it was being – I remember when they broke ground in the early 80s for it. That's right. Yeah. And uh, it – uh, they they dedicated it in the mid '80s, mm-hmm. and it believe it or not, the Bell Engineering Building is not named for Melvin Bell. So Dan Ferreter, our friend who was chancellor at the two time, time, two time former chancellor, yes, yeah, um, he keeps coming back. <laughs> um, but he uh, was chancellor, and he tells this story. Melvin was very interesting. He said, I don't want the building named after me. He said, everything I owe, I owe to my parents, my mother and father. And so if there's going to be anything named, I want the center to be named after my mother and father. And so the Bell Engineering Center is not named after Melvin Bell, who made the generous gift, but it's made for Melvin Bell's parents. And, you know, if you look at the rest of Melvin's life, he he tried to give back to Arkansas. You know that walkway in the center of Bell Engineering when you enter? That used to be a road. Dan was telling me about that. That was a road that went through campus, not just like a service road, but that was like a road that all Fayetteville people could use. And if you walk into Bell Engineering, that middle pathway is the original footprint of that road. That's right. It's very interesting. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so he's rolling in dough mm-hmm. and uh, makes this uh, gift, and then he starts buying things, uh, businesses, enterprises, things like that. And he was very interested in um, hot springs and renovating hot springs. Um he, and he started with Bathhouse Row. Which at the time was horrible. People were wondering if it was going to survive. That's right. It was in disrepair. They were, they were empty. They mm-hmm. were closed, all in disrepair. I remember um, I shoot still photography sometimes, and they didn't even have them locked up mm-hmm. because I walked inside one of them. And great photography uh, opportunities in there. But they were just... Uh, falling apart, falling down. But he made an agreement with the city of Hot Springs that if they took one of the bathhouses, renovated it, and made it a visitor center, that he would take five others and fix them up. That visitor center is still there. That's right. And the other ones have opened. There's a brewery and Mm -hmm. different things. One is a, a spa or a a place where you can still yes. get a massage, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's – I think he was a little ahead of, of his time to do that. But here's an interview from the archives from 1986 when uh, some city dignitaries and folks are touring 
the bathhouses, and uh, this is Melvin Bell. I'm not sure that we looked at it as a, a large profit-making enterprise. I think it's more of a, of a labor uh, to just uh, that we think it's important to the people of the state of Arkansas and, and to the city of Hot Springs. He put more money into Hot Springs. <laughs> he did, and I, I think that's could be an accurate way to describe it. I mean, it wasn't necessarily smart spending. He uh, he bought Magic Springs, the amusement park. Which, again, this was an entity time, that was really, is it going to survive? Well, and at the time, I don't know if you remember, it was called Tragic Screams, yeah. I believe. That yeah. was the nickname for it. Because it was run down. It wasn't doing well. And, uh, well, sh- shortly after the purchase, he... There was a little town meeting, and he was uh, addressing some of the residents of Hot Springs. They were very excited. We have a fairly uh, extensive plan that involves not just the uh, acreage there, but uh, other acreage as well that's contiguous to the park. Uh, I'm spending a lot of time going around looking at theme parks and trying to get some ideas. It's really not my area of expertise, as you well can appreciate. But uh, I did, at this same uh, time in Atlanta, buy a if you're not familiar with it, it won't mean it. It's a Philadelphia toboggan carousel. It's one of the original carousels with the wooden horses, which we hope to move down there. I kind of love this approach. Like, you've made a lot of money pretty quickly, and you're not buying a yacht. You're giving it no. to your alma mater. That's true. You're refurbishing, you know, a major part of Central Avenue and Hot Springs. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe but, it wasn't the smartest thing, but it wasn't evil. Right, it right. Was, he, you know, he, his heart was right, in the right place. Right. And, but he admitted, even in that speech, <laughs> I don't know anything about amusement parks, but I bought this really cool right. carousel. Which, and it got applause, a, yeah. It was probably a fortune. But um, Not all amusement park purchases paid off. No. No, as a matter of fact, he also bought Dog Patch USA. Yeah. So he had that for a while, and it course never went anywhere it's starting to now we think we don't know for sure what's going to be there right another thing he bought in hot springs was the belvedere country club right and he made extensive uh improvements and renovations uh there and i found in the archives uh our late great sports director paul eels was talking to uh it was either a pro or someone who was doing the designs uh of the golf course and this is what he had to say the changes that we made on the front nine are kind of the the 1990 look or 80 look 90 look and uh, the pete die look with all the mounds the fairway bunkers the trap bunkers the pot bunkers grass bunkers and such like that uh, uh the the golfing public will be pleasantly surprised when they come over and see the golf facility and the holes have been changed around. At least you've, you've turned it around, they'll play a little bit different, too. Right. The, the numbers of the holes have been changed back to what they were back about 15 years ago. Uh, as far as the layout of the hole, not much of that has been changed other than the, than the green areas and a few new tee box areas. You've got all these things, and you mentioned he bought Dog Patch. Um, oh, he also bought uh, Fairfield Bay in Heber Springs, <laughs> which included the Red Apple Inn. Right. He yeah. had a lot of money. That's true. <laughs> Buying amusement parks in Fairfield Bay and, yeah. Yeah, they were kind of all over the place. Yeah. And, well, I remember being from Little Rock, there was a place 
down kind of near where the river market is now, mm-hmm. long before the river market, but downtown near the river. Uh, he, the old um, Little Rock Furniture Company warehouse, he bought, and his wife was interested in antiques. So the whole first floor was full of antiques. I mean, really high-end, entire, like, giant wooden bars that you might have seen, you know, turn of the century mm-hmm. uh, saloon or something. Oh, wow. And then upstairs was a restaurant and a music venue that I saw some great shows there, uh, Branford Marsalis and Matt Guitar Murphy. And mm-hmm. all, he would bring all these people down, but it was called SOB. The and shrimp for, and oyster bar, and for a time it was like it was hot. the place. Oh, absolutely! It was yeah. Yes, yes. But um, you know, I think uh, maybe he thought he had the Midas touch, and that because of the success of Insco, that he could do no wrong. But uh, here's his friend and colleague, Bill Priacus, and. This is how he sums it up. Melvin was a, as a great friend and, as I say, a visionary and an entrepreneur. And, and he really, I think, in, in my judgment, it, he got to the point where uh, if someone showed him something that he had a great interest in, he really felt in his heart of hearts that all it took was for him to acquire it, and then it would magically uh, become more successful. And, of course, the key ingredient that was missing in all of that was to bring management into uh, each one of these ventures that uh, could help it succeed. And that's where, in my, in my judgment, and, and people might argue with me, but that was where, that was Melvin's great failing is that he didn't, he didn't back up those purchases with, with, with a business plan. And in many cases, as a result, they, they failed. Now, what's happening with Ensco during all of this? Well, it's still cranking along, but he tries to expand it mm-hmm. and actually has signed contracts with either counties or cities. And there are, I believe, a couple in Canada, a few here in the United States. And uh, one of them was outside of Phoenix. And Hugh Ernest, who used to work for him, also did – well, part of what he did was PR. And so he would go to these areas, and, man, he did not get a warm reception. And he describes um, one of his experiences, and this is outside of Phoenix, and there were some fireworks. Late 80s. Greenpeace was very successful, and they sent over a very competent group of, of individuals who served as uh, to gather protests against the site in, uh, in, in out of Phoenix, about 40 miles out of Phoenix. We had a memorable public hearing uh, outside of Phoenix, uh, and Greenpeace showed up, and as I suspicion, because I have a lot of skill in how you handled permitting through state and federal regulation agencies uh they stood up and protested when the re- when the when the hearing started the people there who were from the state and the feds gave up by the mid 90s uh all the pcbs had to have been destroyed your market is there it goes yeah so um you know i think dan Ferder mentioned he 
wanted to give back to Arkansas. And his old Fort Smith friend, Bill Priakis, sort of echoed uh, that, that, you know, his, his heart was in the right place, but things just didn't turn out as uh, Melvin Bell had envisioned. I think so many of the of the ventures that he started were, were draining off cash, and and uh, many of them, you know, were, it was very bad. I think in Hot Springs that didn't work out well at all. Uh, and, and and he just uh, when he passed, he was uh, essentially broke as far as far as I knew. So it's really tragic, and uh, because he was such he was a he was a fun guy too, a, a great guy to be around, and just. Uh, 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 you know, a bon vivant in, in many, many ways. And uh, I miss him. He was, uh, he, was, he was a character. I think you said at the beginning this was a fascinating story, and you're right. It's this yeah. sort of roller coaster. I mean, a meta- metaphor perhaps because he liked amusement parks, but it was this <laughs> roller coaster of, right. I, of fortune. You know, um, not knowing him, uh, just... Mm-hmm. Covering him, I never even had a conversation with him. But um, oh, by the way, he was in the Good Suit Club ah. with all the big business. Of course he was. So, of course he was. You know, and and I looked in the archives, and his name never came up before he started buying all these things. Mm-hmm. He was flying under the radar when he had Insco, and even with the controversy of you know dioxin and PCBs and uh, incinerating uh, hazardous waste. There was nothing in the archives until wow. he started this public public buying, and and I think maybe his heart was bigger than his bank account. And there are worse things, right? Right. Yeah. But he, you know, he kind of reminds me of Jennings Osborne. And I'll have to tell you, I, I mean, I didn't grow up in Little Rock, so maybe that's a, a subject for another. Maybe visit because we should profile Jennings Osborne. Here's what I, know, here's what because, I know about Jennings Osborne. Okay. And I think it's what a lot of people in Northwest Arkansas know: Christmas lights. Sure. And 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 that's the end of the story. And we for covered us. that well because he was taken to court by all of his mm-hmm. neighbors, and it was such <laughs> a television type story. Yeah. A million Christmas lights that allegedly you could see from space. Um, <laughs> I'm just imagining someone who's listening to us who didn't grow up in Arkansas and they're like, why are we talking about well, Christmas lights now? Well, so we'll have to do a Jennings. We're going to have to do yes. a, a whole segment yeah. on Jennings because here was another person who who had a huge heart, wanted to give to people, and did, mm-hmm. uh, almost to a fault. All right. This has been a good one. Another good one. Well, thank you. We'll be back next hey, week. I try. You do very well. Thank you, Randy. <laughs> Washington Regional's Her Health Clinic is committed to empowering all women by giving them the care and resources they need to take control of their own health. Gynecology services, prenatal care, childbirth, infertility treatments, and more available at Her Health Clinic, located in Washington Regional's Women and Infant Center in Fayetteville. WRegional.com slash HerHealth to learn more. Opera in the Ozarks kicks off its Spring Alumni Recital Concert Series at Thaden School in Bentonville Sunday, April 23rd with an afternoon of arias and art songs featuring internationally recognized soprano Katrina Thurman and baritone Pal Brum, accompanied by pianist Hyun Kim. Tickets available at opera.com. 
ozarkshow.org. This is Ozarks at Large for the first Monday of April 2023. KUAF is a public radio station. Literally, it is the support of more than 4,000 listeners that makes everything you hear on KUAF possible. And about 1,200 of those listeners are sustaining members, meaning that they give a gift every month to help pay for programs like this one, Ozarks at Large, Morning Edition, The Lunch Hour, and so much more on our air and in our community. The Spring Fundraiser is coming up. It's on us right now. And it's a great time for you to become a sustaining member of KUAF. And if you give early, you'll help us start the on-air portion that starts on Wednesday with as much money as possible towards our $80,000 goal this spring. When we all pull together, we can achieve great things like when thousands of your neighbors come together to give $5, $10, $20 a month. Then we can bring you the unparalleled reporting of NPR news and local voices that matter on the community spotlight, those arcs at large, undisciplined, and more. You can become a sustaining member now. It's simple. Just go online to supportkuaf.com, and thank you. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm pleased to say back with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, Paul Haas, uh, conductor, musical director of the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, Sona. Welcome back. Thank you, Kyle. Great to be here with you, as always. Uh, the next concert has a wonderful name, a name that goes down in FM radio history. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it, it's, it, it, it flows trippingly off the tongue. <laughs> Battle of the Bands. Battle of the Bands. Yeah. This is a collaboration with the Fayetteville Jazz Collective? Yes. It's, uh, it is not our first rodeo with the Fayetteville Jazz Collective. Uh, we love working with them, but it's been way too long. And so we decided to, uh, to re- uh, re- revamp our, our, our pops uh, uh, offerings and, and bring, the, bring them back. And it's going to be quite an evening, I tell you, Kyle. When I went to sonamusic.org, to look at the program, nothing was listed, and I kind of like that. Yeah, I know. It's uh, you're not going to be able to look inside the black box until that evening. Uh, but what I can say is that, well, there's a bit of everything. It's it's kind of uh, it's kind of like what we used to call an iPod playlist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has a little bit of everything. It's all fun uh, and. There's movie music, Latin music, jazz, uh, straight up classical. Uh, there'll be collaborations with the two groups where, you know, there'll be some where we each play separately and there'll be some where uh, we join up together, join forces and play together. There'll be others where we weave in and out. So we'll be playing for a few bars, they play for some bars and then, you know, back and forth like that. Anyway, the whole evening is sculpted to be just a, a fantastic trip, right? Through music history, in a sense, but but throughout the whole world of music, really, and the soundtrack to our lives. Any idea how many total musicians will be on stage? I mean, no, but <laughs> but at least uh, I would say we're pushing towards towards uh, maybe ninety. I'm I'm not going okay, go to I'm sure. not going to go to a hundred yet, but it uh, I didn't actually count. <laughs> Yeah, that's only a question that someone like me would care about. Right. I'm just no, curious. No, no, no. Let's just say the stage will appear very full. Won't just appear, actually. It, it, it <laughs> will be. I'll, I'll be right up next to the lip, <laughs> dangerously close to the lip. Be careful. One of the sounds I like most in music is that full sort of Nelson Riddle 
sound, you know, when Sinatra had the full band behind him. Absolutely. You can just. Yeah, no, and this is, this is that on steroids. Oh, boy. Because <laughs> <laughs> not only do you have the, j- the jazz band, but you have the big band, but you have the strings. Right. But then the winds and the brass and then the percussion. So you have, you have, you just have a, a huge amount of sound on stage. <laughs> yes. It's going to be glorious. One last question then. When you're, when you're constructing this evening, do you have to consciously think, I want to make sure everyone's involved? And, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I got to get the horns in or the woodwinds here because they haven't been in for a bit. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and even beyond that. So, so, yes, of course, we use uh, all the colors of the orchestra and, and want to feature certain people in the orchestra on, on, on one selection or another. But then, then we go a step further than that even and figure out who in one ensemble could solo well with the other ensemble. And so we're doing cross-pollinating along those lines as well. Uh, and there are a couple of, uh, of examples I can think of right now. Uh, but I can't tell you about them sure. because cause it's a sure. black box and I'm, I won't let you look in. Right. Sonamusic.org? Yeah. That's where you get tickets. It's where you find out the information. But you won't find out the program. And I think you that's have to fantastic. go to the program. Thank you. Paul Haas, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, Kyle. Tomorrow on Ozarks, a little-known naval tradition rediscovered. All of these writers had experienced or were about to experience the combat of World War II at sea. And they're sitting there, and what comes out in the poems is the incredible humanity of these young men. A pair of John Brown University professors collaborated on a new book about poems written on battleships as a new year began. We'll learn more about Midwatch Verse on tomorrow's show. You can hear us at noon and at 7 p.m., and you can always take us with you on your schedule with the Ozarks at Large podcast in your podcast feed. Closing out Walton Arts Center's Starlight Jazz Club Series is the Brianna Thomas Sextet, Friday, April 7th at 7.30 p.m. With the soprano voice that scats, swoons, and croons, Brianna Thomas moves the material into the funky soul and R&B worlds. Tickets available at waltonartscenter.org. This is 91.3 KUAF. You can listen to us over the air on your radio. That's right. But you can also listen to this station... KUAF2, which is 24 hours a day of classical music, and KUAF3, which is almost always jazz. You can listen to all three of our broadcast signals online. That's right. You can go to KUAF.com. You can find the streams there. You can also find it in the KUAF app. We've got three different little buttons there where you can choose which feed you want to listen to. KUAF1, which is what you're listening to right now. Uh, KUAF2 is the classical music. KUAF3. This is jazz music. You can find it on that. How else can you find it, Kyle? Uh, well, you can ask your smart speaker. Please play KUAF 91.3. Please play KUAF 2. Please KUAF 3. And the great thing about all of that, mm-hmm. free. I'm Joy McGowan. I'm Denisha Simpson. And, and we are Resilient, Resilient Black, Black Women. On the next Resilient Black Women. Joy and Denisha speak with Dr. Gabby, a gynecologist based in the UK, who is addressing the root cause of gynecology disease, a disease that disproportionately affects black women. 
Black women also experience higher rates of infertility, maternal mortality, and higher hysterectomy rates compared to women of other races. So that's how I've ended up on this mission to save Black women's wombs with a pervasive problem where Black women are disproportionately affected um, by the burden of gynecology disease. Listen to this and other episodes, one every Friday in the month of March to highlight Black women's health. For free at KUAF.com and anywhere you get your podcasts. You can find all of our podcasts at KUAF.com or, as Lee just said, wherever you find podcasts. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Prairie Grove. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Matthew produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Anna Pope, and Randy Dixon. Further assistance provided by the news team at KUAR. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. We will be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7. Don't forget that this is the fundraising, spring fundraising week at 91.3 KUAF. The really sort of traditional on air part, now down to three days, Mm -hmm. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But that doesn't mean we're not fundraising now. We'd like to have as much money as possible toward our $80,000 goal when we start the on-air, the formal on-air part Wednesday morning. Mm -hmm. You can help us do that right now at supportkuaf.com. That's right. We try to make it as easy as possible for you to show us your support for this station. And, you know, a vast majority, is it three-quarters Three quarters of our funding come from listeners just like you who give in a one-time gift, give in a sustaining way. However, you're able to do that to show your support for this show. The the way that we do this show is strange and it's hard to do (laughs) and it's impossible. It's literally impossible without supporters just like you. That's true. Uh, I will also let you know that Brett Ratliff, our membership director, sent out an email earlier today and said that when he got to work early this morning, we'd raised almost, he, to quote him, a smidgen less than $10,000. Our goal by the end of broadcast day Friday is 80000 So we were kind of hoping to be around 12000 a day, mm-hmm. so just a little bit behind, but that's where you come in, uh, contribute what you can in the manner that you choose at supportkuaf.com. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Callums. I'm Matthew Moore.